Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Soundsington Media! Hey, unspookable listeners. It's producer Nate Dufort. We get to talk about a lot of cool topics on Unspookable. From monsters that lurk beyond the edge of civilization to the ones that only exist in our minds. From the spooky games trending on our phone to liminal spaces with seemingly no escape. But did you know that some people actually have jobs where they get to study these topics full-time? On this episode, we get to talk to one such individual. Someone who has written about the ghosts that haunt schools and bathrooms, studied with an actual working exorcist, and researched rituals throughout history, like today's topic, a levitation ritual some of you may have heard of, called light as a feather, stiff as a board. That and more on this episode of Unspookable. Elise Parisian, here with unspookable producer Nate Dufort. Hey, Nate. Hey, Elise. We are excited this week to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Libby Tucker, Distinguished Service Professor of English at Binghamton University. Welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you so much, Elise. I'm excited to be here. Libby, your expertise spans from some of our all-time favorite subjects that we've talked about on the show, from Bloody Mary to Bathroom Ghosts and The White Lady. What initially drew you to folklore and the supernatural? I'm so glad that your show's subjects overlap with my interests. I got interested in the supernatural really as a small child because I would hear people telling ghost stories. Sometimes the adults told them. They didn't think the kids were listening. And then one day when I was about six years old, sitting in my friend's room waiting for her to come back up the stairs, I looked up and saw a grayish head of a man floating in the air, and it just hung there for a moment. I didn't know what it was, but I wondered about it for years, and I think that that's one reason why I decided to study this, because sometimes inexplicable things do happen. That's so interesting, and I so resonate. I have similar origins to my interest in the supernatural and the paranormal. And well, today we're talking about a ritual that I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of, seen in popular culture, or even tried themselves. The levitating ritual often referred to as light as a feather, stiff as a board. For those unfamiliar, can you give us an overview of the ritual? Sure, I'd be happy to. This is a very old ritual that goes back to at least the 17th century to 1665, maybe probably earlier. And it's mainly about kids, or sometimes adults, trying to lift a person off the floor or in a chair. And they, they do a chant. And for, sometimes they tell stories first, but they just about always do a chant. And would you like me to say how the chant usually goes? Sure, that'd be great. Okay, great. The chant, 
It, with some variations, goes like this. She's looking pale. She's looking pale. She's looking worse. She's looking worse. She's dying. She's dying. She's dead. She's dead. Now let's raise her from the grave. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. So in a way, this is about resurrection, bringing somebody back after dying. And this is something that kids tend to be kind of curious about. Absolutely. Yeah, I know you mentioned the 1600s as maybe an origin time frame. Could you say a little bit more about how you believe or how you know that this tradition came to be? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, the first reliable mention of it is July 31st, 1665, the diary of Samuel Pepys in London. And he had heard from a friend who had just been on a visit to Bordeaux in France that four little girls had been doing a ritual where they placed themselves around the body of a man and they recited a rhyme like the one I just said, but in French. And each of them took two fingers and they lifted this man off the floor mm. in a magical sort of way. So Samuel Pepys was very excited about this, wrote about it in his diary. And this really had a connection to the Great Plague of London because that was happening at this time. And we don't know how many children were playing that game around then, but we know that it has continued since then in a number of different countries. It's still very popular. I mean, since it's been so many years of, the tr of this tradition existing, are there variations that have happened over time or, or regional differences that exist that you're aware of? Yes, there are definitely variations. The main variation I know of is that sometimes the person who's going to be lifted lies down on the ground and the people place themselves with the two fingers and lift the person up. Other times the person is seated in a chair and had several friends come and put their heads, hands on top of the person's head, push down really hard, and then they lift their hands up and they raise the person from the ground. This seems to trace back to a very old Russian game. I don't know exactly which year, but it was around for quite a while. Notice that the variation of sitting in a chair and having hands pressing down on your heads seems to be very common in the New England states. Mm -hmm. And the one of lying on the ground or rug seems to be more common in other parts of the country and in Europe, including England. You mentioned the plague, and we know that in times of stress and tragedy, be it war or disease, that belief in the supernatural typically increases. Do you have thoughts in regards to this or any other rituals and how they spread? That, that is such an important question to ask these days, as we still deal with the impact of COVID-19, even though the public health emergency in the United States is over. Uh, yes, definitely. At times of uncertainty and anxiety and social change, rituals of this kind definitely tend to rise. And with, I've been making an effort to observe closely what's been happening with the COVID-19 pandemic. We haven't had anything like this for 100 years. And there certainly have been children who have been playing games related to the COVID-19 menace. Uh, for example, Rona tag, where one child is it and chases around trying to catch somebody else to change roles with that child. And, and other games where the kids just let out their stress about 
having to deal with their learning changing and sometimes being penned up at home for periods of time. This was bound to come out in their play, and it's been very interesting to see how that's been happening. I'm sort of curious, think about what you just said and and also just the amount of years that Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board in particular has been around. What do you think it is about this particular ritual that has so much staying power? I think it has so much staying power because it feels like magic. Mm. It feels like you're, in a way, breaking the rules of physics, reaching down and lifting somebody heavy with only two fingers from each hand. And adults as well as children have been fascinated by this. In the 19th century, there used to be magic shows where adults would do the levitation experiment and show everybody how it worked and everybody would go, ooh, wow. But these days, it's more commonly done at slumber parties or gathering, kids' gatherings, even on playgrounds, for example. It doesn't have to be in a secluded setting, but just a place where kids get together without adults around. And you see this coming out in the mass media, too, especially in the 1996 movie, The Craft, mm -hmm. where some girls are... Have, have you seen that, Elise? It's been a the while, craft. but yeah. Yeah, it's still a good movie. Mm -hmm. And it's especially funny because the mother of the girl whose house it is shouts out to the girls, are your girls getting high? And they laugh because they are getting high. They're lifting one of themselves up into the air, but not getting high in the way that the mother fears they might be. More after this. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. So your work is focused on primarily younger audiences, be it adolescent folklore or teen and tween rituals. What do you think is the appeal of the supernatural and the unexplained on younger audiences? I think uh, younger people are intensely curious and they're working on figuring out how things go in the world. The rules of rationality, the rules of what they can do, what they can try to discover. And delving into the world of magic feels exciting. It also helps you to test your own bravery. I think that's an important part. I remember as a kid myself, I was a little bit nervous about doing levitation and some of the other magical rituals I learned about, but I dared to do it and I was fine. I've seen so many kids and also college students sometimes try Bloody Mary and feel really nervous about trying it. But once they get through it, they feel excited and proud. They did it. Bloody Mary didn't reach through the mirror to get them with her dagger or fingernails. They're okay. So it's like a fear test in a way. Shows that they are ready to go out into the world to take on the perils that may be out there to test the limits of magic and rationality. That makes so much sense. I know even even today, sometimes if I'm washing my hands in front of a mirror in the evening, I'll 
I don't go through the ritual, but I'll think about Bloody Mary. Like, I could, I could look for this. But that said, I am curious what your thoughts are about, you know, it feels like so often we hear about these rituals happening with young girls and young women. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on the gender component of it all. That's an important thing to think about. One of the changes that I've seen happening over time is that levitation used to happen only at girls' slumber parties. And especially as we've moved into the time when YouTube has been active, there have been many more mixed groups. Although I have heard some older guys talk about trying levitation when they were kids on the playground. So it wasn't an absolute gender divide, but I think that the internet has helped us to become more democratic in a way. People, different genders, different ages can come together. And then a huge audience of people all over the world, as long as they understand the language that the people are using, can comment and give their own view on mm -hmm. whether it's the right version of the ritual and what it needs what it needs to be. But usually it is young people who are trying to figure out what's going on in the world and do it partly through that ritual. One of our favorite things to discuss is how digital folklore in the age of the internet, YouTube, and TikTok has evolved the oral tradition of sharing folktales and how adding both a social and visual element may be making these traditions scarier. Do you have thoughts about folklore in the digital age? Oh, I, I absolutely do. That's one of the areas I've been following most closely because I find it so fascinating. And with levitation, for example, I started looking at levitation videos on YouTube in 2006 and wrote two articles about the videos that were being posted and the comments that were being made all over the world. And so one big thing that happens with the internet is that this enormous audience comes together and it's kind of shadowy. It's hard to know who the people are because they use screen names. And you can look, I have looked and found the countries where some of them live. They live all, they're all over the world, but exactly who they are and why they're tuning in is not entirely clear. So, so that is interesting. And of course, rituals are just one facet of this transition. We see legends, conversational narratives that sound like they have a kernel of truth and also folk tales that have an element of magic appearing online. And as you were suggesting, sometimes seeming more real and more terrifying because you can see them, you can see these graphic images, you can no longer just use your imagination to figure out what's going on. The case of Slender Man is interesting. I don't know if you've talked about that and have you talked about that in an earlier have, podcast? Yeah. Okay, so you've covered it, but, and that's, the only one really where a frightening figure was completely created online in 2009. And then that terrible stabbing incident occurred in Wisconsin in 2014. So that was a very difficult situation. Something like that wouldn't have happened without the internet. Yeah. Well, with that, I know you, you just mentioned that the internet and this crossover has been interesting to you, but with everything that you've studied, do you have a favorite a favorite thing you've tapped into, or is there a current obsession that you're just really feeding off of right now? Well, th thanks a lot for asking about that. I've, over the years, followed up on many different 
ghost story patterns, and I've really enjoyed doing that, especially in college and university settings, such as, for example, hearing students saying that they have been hearing the sounds of marbles landing on the ceilings at the top of their room and not knowing where those sounds come from. There might be a rug there. There's no way that a marble could actually be making that sound. And stories like, I've, I've traced them to Asia. They're all over Asia. They're in many parts of the U.S., especially in the Northeast and the South. And they go back to old omens that if you hear or see a ball bouncing down the steps or somewhere else, this means that something might be happening that you better watch out for. So I, I love following up on things like that. But my current obsession is the ghost stories related to the COVID-19 pandemic. I've been talking with students about stories they've heard. In a way, it's not going so well because COVID-19 isolated us all so much from each other. And so oral storytelling in groups has suffered from that. A lot of students have enjoyed playing supernaturally themed video games instead, like I think it's called Phantasmophobia, some of the really scary video games. And in some ways, those have taken the place of the more old-fashioned storytelling. There's also the Amazon Watch Party. You can get a scary movie and watch it with a friend and talk and comment. That's a lot of fun. Libby, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience with us about All About Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board. For more information about levitation and Dr. Tucker's own work, Libby recommends Emily Temple's The Secret History of Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board on Literary Hub, which we have linked in the episode's show notes. Thank you so much, Libby. Thank you, Nate. It's been a real pleasure. That's it for this episode of Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian, joined this week by Unspookable producer, Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.